Hey, good morning. Welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. My name is Roy, and I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to know this morning, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? Do you know how many times we get asked that question over the course of a day? A lot. A lot, actually. Or some variation of that question. You know, maybe it's it's when you're at the bank teller, and, and the person says, How are you today, sir? How are you, ma'am? Maybe it's at the Tim Hortons drive-thru where someone says, how are you? That'll be three fifty, please. Or maybe it's someone you pass in the street. Just kind of give them a look. You don't know, you don't know them, but you say, hey, how's it going? You probably had someone say that to you within the last 24 hours for sure. How are you doing? And it's odd because there's this general understanding that when someone asks you this question, how are you doing? They're not really looking for a deep answer. They're not really looking for you to respond the way that, that you, might, you might think. So we respond with good or fine. It's just kind of a natural thing that comes off the tongue, even if we aren't really good or fine. And so we just, we just, it just, we just say it. Like, I could get fired from my job. I could have my car break down and my basement flood all on the same day. And if I go out to a restaurant later in the day and the waitress comes up to the table and says, hey, everybody, how you doing? Naturally, I'm just going to say, fine. I'm good. And so it's weird when we take on this same sort of posture when we come to church. Because the church is supposed to be this place where you come as you are. You bring or you lay out all your junk, but then we get all spiritual because we don't want anyone to know that we're not fine, that we're not doing good. And we say good or fine, or if we're a really good Christian, we say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed and unstressed. In fact, I'm so blessed that if a mosquito came and bit me right now, they would, they, they would fly away singing, there's power in the blood. That's how blessed I am. Maybe that's how you really feel. That's, that's good. That's a good thing. But we miss the point when we feel the pressure to just be okay all the time. Otherwise, we worry that people think that we're not that spiritual or that we don't have great faith. So in this series that we're starting today called Emote Control, we're going to look at the way in which we express our emotions or our feelings in a way that's healthy, in a way that's honest, in a way that honors God. And I know for you, some of you, especially guys, a series where we dive deep into our emotions, you're already thinking, how many parts is this series? Five? All right, I'll tune back in in, in April. Like, you don't know how you feel, but you do know how you feel about talking about your feelings for five weeks. Sounds horrible. I understand, but I will say this. Those of you that want to talk about your feelings the least are usually the ones that need to talk about them the most. Your anger, there's a strong connection between your refusal to acknowledge your emotions and your tendency to lash out. You see, you don't know where your apathy or your indifference comes from. But it comes from some emotions that haven't been dealt with, haven't been surrendered, and haven't been redeemed by a God that loves you so much and wants so much more for your life. So we're going to dive into dealing with some of these feelings and, and understand that this is tied to your mental health. Feelings and emotion and mental health is a subject that a lot of times the church likes to just kind of steer around. And maybe not just the church, but maybe even your own family. Maybe you grew up in a family where you, they, don't they don't like to talk about their feelings. They don't like this, this idea being brought forward. And if you're experiencing emotions, you've been taught that there's good emotions and there's bad emotions. 
And if you're a Christian, well, you've got the joy of the Lord, so happy is a good emotion, but sad is a bad emotion. So don't feel sad. Feel happy. Or you're like, I feel anxious. And the response you get is, well, don't do that. Be at peace. Have a peace that passes all understanding. That's the phrase that we throw out quite often. And I'm not mocking this because the joy of the Lord is a real thing. And a peace that, that just comes upon you when it doesn't even make sense, well, that's something many of us have experienced when, when, it, when it just did not make sense. But emotions like fear and sadness and anger, they have a place that we need to understand how we handle them. So the spiritual solution to our emotions isn't, well, just don't feel that way. And so what we do is we pretend we don't feel that way when we're around people that we probably should be leaning on the most, our church family. And we say things like, I'm fine, or I'm good, or I'm okay, even if we're not fine or good or okay, because we've learned that, well, that's the right answer. And the internet, well, the internet actually is, has, has come up with a way of helping us express our emotions without ever saying them. Emojis. You've seen these little colorful, like, balls of happy faces and stuff like that that express your, your feelings. Maybe you've used them to send a text with a happy face or a happy, someone laughing while crying kind of thing. And these, these symbols help you understand how you're, like, they express how you're feeling. And I know that the happy face emoji, I want to feel like that, but sometimes I feel like the crying emoji. And sometimes I want to feel like the, the, the emoji that has the sunglasses on, who's cool, calm, and collected, but sometimes the best one to describe me is an exasperated emoji. But then sometimes the emoji that describes my day best is would be the numb emoji that, where it's just completely blank. Because that's how we go through our day. We shut down. We don't feel happiness or sadness. We don't feel grieved, but we don't feel joy. Our relationships don't feel the warmth and connection that we hope for, but we also don't feel bitter or angry. We're just numb. So in this series, we want to look at what it means to be emotionally healthy. Because if you're going to live out the will and the plan of God in your life, an unstable emotional health will have a tendency to trip up even the best laid plans. So to help us with this, we're going to spend the next four weeks studying the Psalms. And the Psalms we're going to be looking at were written by King David. David, if you don't know who that is, was a man's man. He was a warrior, a giant slayer, a powerful king. But he was an emotional guy. And he had no problem expressing how he felt to God and also expressing how he felt around the people around him. So we're going to dive into four of his psalms to get some of the insight into our own emotions and how we control them. But this week, before we dive into the psalms, I want to look at Jesus and how he handled his emotions. And, and for our text today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 26. And by the time we pick up our text in Matthew 26, we're going to look and we're going to see that Jesus in this period of time is very, very emotional. And for some of you, you don't like the idea of Jesus being emotional. It just doesn't feel quite right because your idea of Jesus is always calm and collected in the circumstances around him. One study looked at Jesus' emotions throughout the Gospels, and they came away with this, the conclusion that during the Gospels, Jesus experienced 39 different emotions. You're thinking, I didn't even know there was 39 different emotions. But we see moments where Jesus is completely delighted when he sees people 
acting on faith. We see moments where he is just disappointed by the lack of faith others have. We see moments where he's angered when people use his father's name for their own profit. He weeps with the sisters of Lazarus after Lazarus has died. And so as you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus experienced the same feelings that we experience daily. And by experiencing those emotions of anger and joy and loneliness and disgust and delight, he models for us that our feelings aren't an indicator that we are weak. They're an indicator that we are human. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. So this question is, isn't if, is emotion a right one or a wrong one? It's what do we do with those emotions? How do we manage them? How do we get to be the one that holds the emote control? It's important to understand where this word emotion comes from. It's this Latin word, the, the root word that means emover. Emover means to move, which makes sense because God gives you emotions to move you towards something. The question is, where are they taking you? Your emotions will take you somewhere. Ask yourself this, where is my anxiety taking me? Where is my shame taking me? Where is my anger taking me? Can you imagine emotions almost like a road sign? You ever come to one of those road signs where it's like a fork in the road, you gotta go right or you gotta go left? You have to make a decision. Am I going to go left or am I going to go right? You have to choose in that moment. You can't go straight. If you're experiencing shame, you're either going to let it take you to a place of isolation and depression, or you're going to choose to go to a place of forgiveness and freedom. If you're experiencing anger, it's going to take you to a place of verbal or physical lashing out that's destructive in manner, or it's going to take you to a place where you move in a healthy action to fix a situation in a productive manner. You see, when we experience emotions, emotions, we will come to a crossroads where we have the opportunity to move closer to God or move further away from God. When we experience emotions that we feel are negative, those emotions are actually an opportunity for God to work within us and make us more mature and deepen our relationship with him. So in Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's experiencing this whole range of emotions. And it's already to this point, it's been a very emotional night for him. He's just come from the upper room where he sat and he broke bread with and he had a meal with and he laughed with his disciples for the final time because he knows what's coming. Judas, one of his disciples, has already left to go betray him. And Jesus knows what's going down, but it doesn't sting any less just because he knows. Jesus knows what his near future holds. He knows that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be beaten, and that he's going to be crucified by Roman execution on a cross. He knows all of this. And so by the time we begin our passage, Jesus is overwhelmed by emotion. Verse 36 says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. 
He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke documents the same story. And Luke, who was a medical doctor, he, he, he gives us some detail that Matthew doesn't. He tells us that during this moment, Jesus suffered physical pain as well as emotional pain. In, in Luke twenty two forty four, 44, he says, He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. See, Jesus was in such distress emotionally that he was experiencing this very rare but very real medical condition called hematidrosis. This is where the tiny capillaries in your sweat glands burst from extreme stress and high blood pressure. And this mixture of sweat and blood comes out of your pores so it looks like you're sweating blood. The point is, Jesus was emotionally overwhelmed in this moment. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. You see, there's a chance that if Jesus were to walk into a church today and made this same statement, that there'd be those who would feel that this isn't a very spiritual way to feel. Don't feel like that, Jesus. Where is your joy? Don't feel like that, Jesus. Where is your faith? But Jesus experienced a full range of emotions, and, and you will as well. I hope that as you read this passage and you watch, even Jesus had moments where his soul was crushed with grief, that the pressure to be a Christian but mask any emotion that seems to be negative, I hope that is freeing. I hope that you can put that away. Not so that you can stay there, but so that you can move past it and allow it to be an opportunity to grow closer to God in spiritual maturity. And so if you're listening this morning and, and and you had someone in the last little while say to you, how are you doing? And you said, fine, but really you were anything but fine. Jesus would say to you today, he wouldn't say, don't feel like that. He would say to you today, I know how that feels. Here's another aspect that needs to be taken into account. How you process this message and how you process your feelings may be linked to the era in which you grew up. We have a wide range of, of different age groups that are listening with us in person and online. And so depending on the time period in which you grew up, you may process emotion vastly different than the people that are around you. If you're part of the silent generation or the baby boomers, you were taught to deal with your feelings in a different way than other generations. The silent generation is those that were born between 1928 and 1945. Boomers are those born between 1946 and 1964. For your generations, you were taught, for the most part, emotional avoidance. That the way you deal with your emotions is avoiding them. Certain emotions were not allowed. Certain emotions need to be avoided. For the next two generations, Generation X and the Millennials, we process emotion differently. Gen X, the one I'm part of, we were raised by the boomers. We are the generation from 1965 to 1980. Millennials are born in 1981 to 1996, and Gen Z is anything after. Well, our generations swung a bit of the other way when it came to our emotions. Our generations were taught to embrace our feelings. You feel your feelings. You just put it all out there. 
If you were taught emotional avoidance, when you, when you, emotional avoidance is where you kind of stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down. But the problem with that is, is that it catches up to you. It comes out in different forms, either in anger or maybe apathy. So you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, am I dealing with things in a healthy way? Why do I drink when I drink? Why do I spend too much money online shopping just to make me feel good? Why do I overeat? Why do I look at porn? Why don't I ever commit to a relationship? Why do I blow up and yell and scream and then apologize to everyone that was in the line of fire and then three days later I do it all over again? You see, often emotional avoidance, just pushing it down, it comes out in some way. The Bible talks that what's in the heart will eventually come out. Millennials and Gen Xers, it's the other extreme. Emotional indulgence. We feel our feelings. Whatever you feel, that's what's right. You find your identity in your feelings. Let yourself be dominated by your feelings. It's almost like it's your GPS. You go about your day and you do what you feel. You, you are what you feel. And if the people around you are affected, I'm sorry. That's, that's how I feel. What do you want me to do? I, I can't help how I feel. In Pastor John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Great title. He references a study done by Dr. Daniel Goleman. Now, Dr. Goleman is a behavioral science expert who spent much of his life studying human behavior. And in one of the studies, he came to the following conclusion about emotions. Emotions are more contagious than the flu. This dynamic is so powerful that in one study, three volunteers sat silently in a circle for two minutes. And at the end of the time, the most emotionally expressive person transmitted, tra transmitted his or her mood to the other two without saying a word. In every such session, the mood, the mood the most expressive person had going in was also the mood the other two felt coming out, whether it was happy, bored, anxious or angry some of you are feeling the residual effect of someone in your home that you share your life with emotional indulgence feeling their feelings but over the course of the series as we study through the psalms we'll begin to see that our emotions are actually a gauge they're meant to get our attention and move us in a direction that makes us more like jesus where we're able to accomplish God's will for our lives, we're able to be spiritually more mature and more emotionally healthy. But you have to pay attention to the gauge. See, the first vehicle that my wife Jen and I bought as a married couple was a blue Chevy Venture minivan. That's when you know you've committed to the family life, when you, when you go all in on the minivan. But we're proud of our new, our used, our new to us used vehicle. And this van was, was great for our family, and it ran uh, fine for a while. But then one day, the check engine light came on. Now, apparently, I was supposed to check the engine when the check engine light came on. But I didn't know anything about cars, so I was like, even if I popped open the hood, I don't know what I'm looking at. I mean, I guess I could take it to mechanic, but it didn't really matter because we were new parents and we were barely scraping by from paycheck to paycheck. And a mechanic was just going to ask us for money that we didn't have. So my strategy was, well, let's, let's just keep driving and see what happens. 
So one day I'm starting up the van, about to pull out of the driveway, and the van decides it's not going anywhere. As I would later find out, the engine was completely dead and nothing left to give. And apparently, and I don't know if you know this, but the manufacturer of the van designed the van, and this might be true for your vehicle as well, but when there's an issue, the van will actually illuminate a light that was meant to get my attention to let me know something's wrong, something requires my attention. Now, you can let it go, but if you do, the price you pay will be much bigger in the future. And that was true. Because when you're living on paycheck to paycheck, the price of even an oil change can sink you. It seems too much just to pay for maintenance that doesn't get you anything. But if it's left unchecked, the cost of a new engine is astronomical. And we know because that's eventually what we had to do. We had to get a new engine for our vehicle. See, for many of us, this is what our emotions are trying to, to do. They're trying to get our attention. They're trying to get us to look under the hood. When we, what we try to do is we try to keep driving. Ignore the warning light. Even when it's, it's flashing, check engine, check engine. Even when others point out, hey, your, your check engine light's on. Uh, I, I think there's something wrong there. You better get that checked out. We just keep driving until eventually the whole thing blows up and we're forced to face the problem anyway. How do we emote control? How do we deal with our emotions? When we look at Jesus in Matthew 26, we see that Jesus is overwhelmed. And the first thing he does is he tells his friends how he's feeling. And the second thing he does is he asks them to stay with him. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus allows himself to be vulnerable with some of his closest friends. And it wasn't weak for him to do that. It was strong. And notice he doesn't do that with all his disciples. He doesn't gather the 12 around and says, hey, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. He just takes the three people that he's closest with and he says, he confides in them, I'm overwhelmed by emotion. Please don't go. And that point, and the point of the series is not that if you're dealing with something emotional and you show up at church, it's not to pull up a chair in the front foyer right beside the, the outside greeter and just spill everything right there. But the point is, is that you need two or three people in your life that you can be vulnerable, vulnerable with. Two or three people that you can go to and say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you walk with me through this tough season? You're honest with them. They're honest with you. That's not weak. That's what Jesus did. And so Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, I'm overwhelmed. Stay here with me. The second thing he does is he prioritizes his faith above his feelings. In other words, he aligns his feelings with what God wants for his life. And he does something that's incredibly difficult. He aligns his feelings with what he knows to be true rather than the emotion that he's experiencing. That's not easy. In verse 39, Jesus says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see, the emotions he's experiencing in this moment are overwhelming. Yet he says, Father, I want your will, not mine. I choose to submit my feelings to your plan. 
If you're a millennial or a Gen X who tend to emotionally indulge, this is really important for you to hear. If you've been taught to just feel your feelings and that your feelings are always right, Jesus doesn't do that. He's honest about how he feels. He doesn't pretend to feel something else. He doesn't just say to his guys, guys, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. I'm good. But he feels the emotions he does. He, he, he admits them to the people that are closest to him. And then he processes them with God. And then he comes out the other end saying, God, despite how I'm feeling, I want what you want. See, you might feel like punching a hole through the wall. You might feel like staying in bed all day long. You might feel like getting a divorce and starting over. You might feel that way. But where's that feeling going to take you? I'm not just going to say to you, don't feel that way. That, that's a real feeling that you have in the moment. But where is that feeling going to take you? What you feel is real. But just because what you feel is real doesn't mean it's true. Because our emotions lie to us all the time. Here's a really tough example. But for the past 12 years, I've been to more funerals than I'd like to even count for teenagers that have committed suicide. And behind the scenes, there's often evidence that the person who took their life felt alone, felt like no one got them who they were, like felt like no one cared about them. But when in the conversations leading up to the funeral and at the funeral, it is apparent that although they felt that way, those feelings weren't real. They were, they were real, but they weren't true. They were real, but they weren't true. Person after person would speak about how much they cared about that person. And if they had known how that person was feeling, they would do everything they could to show them that they were loved and show them that they were cared about. If only the person, if only that person could see the outpouring of love and emotion in that room, they would understand that sometimes their feelings lie to them. Sometimes their feelings feel real, but they're not true. They were actually loved. Your feelings will lie in the face of what God says to be true about you. And so Jesus acknowledges his feelings to his closest disciple and then to God, but then chooses to prioritize God's will over his feelings. And as a result, something in his spirit shifts. Because a short time later, Jesus is in the garden, and the soldiers come to arrest him. And he's no longer overwhelmed. He's confident. He's focused. He understands what the bigger picture is. He's resolute, and he has control over his emotions. Even when Peter allows his emotions to take over and he swings a sword at, a, at one of the other soldiers, Jesus stands his ground and he's ready to face his destiny. Let me wrap up with this thought. When Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to God, he begins with this word, Father. Mark uses the word Abba. It's not formal. It's intimate. It's raw. When's the last time you prayed to God like that? Father, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with my situation. Father, I'm frustrated with my career. Father, I'm lonely. Father, I'm angry at my kids. Father, I'm hurt by my parents. See, God wants to redeem your emotions. 
but he can only redeem what you offer to him. The challenge in this series is for you to understand that your emotions are taking you somewhere. Somewhere that leads to frustration and destruction, or somewhere that leads to intimacy with God and spiritual maturity. And so our goal as a church is that we would form these deep connections with each other, that we wouldn't feel the pressure to put on a fake smile and a plastic demeanor and recite off a scripted, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm okay. But we would understand that as humans, just like Jesus, we all go through emotions. None are good or bad, but they all have the opportunity to lead us somewhere good or bad. God, Father, wants to redeem each one. And he wants to show you that he's put people around you in your life that can play a role if you let them into that process. Let's pray. God, for too long we've those of us that have been at church for a while, we've sort of suppressed some of our feelings. We've suppressed our, how we really are. We show up at church week after week and we tell people we're good. We tell people we're fine when inside maybe on that particular day our soul is crushed. On that particular day we're struggling, but we, we don't, we feel the pressure to do, put on a, a mask and say that we're, any, we're, we're fine. We're good. But that doesn't lead us to a place that's healthy. That, that's not what the church was designed for, just to come and put on, a, put on a show for everyone else. And so, God, I pray that for each of us that we would get to a place where we're honest with ourselves. We would understand that our emotions are taking us somewhere. And sometimes that place is a place of anger and apathy, and sometimes that place is a place of, of rest and freedom. Ultimately, our desire should be to move closer to you in the midst of it all, and not away from you. And as we become more emotionally healthy, we then become a vessel that you can use all the more to affect this world. So God, I pray my prayer for this series as we, 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 we go four more weeks with this, that it would be a journey for some people that would release them. And that as a church, we would become a place where we can be vulnerable, we can be authentic, and we can get help that we need. So God, I pray that you bless each person listening today. And we ask this in your name, Father. Amen.